right, we're going to read from Psalm 91 today. And uh, you know what I like to do to honor God's Word. So if you can stand with me, we're going to read Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him and will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? Blessed be God's word. You can have a seat. The scriptures say that God is an everlasting father. That he is the father of all. He's referred to as Abba, which translated into English means daddy. Daddy. He's our daddy. God is also love. He is the quintessential loving dad. Like any positive picture that we could ever think of of the ideal dad is a picture that pales in comparison to our dad our true dad, our heavenly father. And he loves us so much that he wants, with everything inside of him, he wants for us to have the best possible life. Really. I mean, that might sound cheesy in some ways or trite, but it's really not. I mean, God wants the best possible life for his kids. A good dad wants the best possible life for his kids. And God, being the greatest and most loving of all fathers, wants so much for us to have this phenomenal life. But God's not only a dad. He's also an architect. He's a designer. He's a builder. As a matter of fact, he's the creator. He made everything. He made it from the Milky Way and beyond all the way down to the DNA of a little frog or whatever, you know, and everything around it. He designed it all. When he designed it, he had a plan. He was intentional. It wasn't over here, I'm just going to randomly make something, and over here, I want my family to have a good life It was all integrated. He was building a house for his kids when he built the universe. And he built it in such a way that if we functioned appropriately within it, that we could have the best possible life. In the first service, I asked how many people have a computer. I needed to know to know if the illustration would work. In the second service, I'll ask again, how many of you have a computer? Actually, 
Yeah, I, well, I should say it the other way, but I won't. But how, how many of you have a computer in this? Yeah, okay. I, 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 I don't know if I saw anybody who didn't have a hand up. Um, and okay, I, there's, 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 there is one. Yeah, okay. Uh, but in general, okay, there's a couple. All right. Most of us in this service have computers. Now, most of you probably also have some form of a PC as your computer. Now, a PC can be made by, the, the actual computer can be made by any number of companies. It can be made by Dell, HP, Toshiba, Sony. It can be custom built, but you have this, this laptop or desktop computer that's built by any number of companies. Then each of those computers, whoever they're made by, runs on an operating system. And this is, you know, what all the PCs really have in common, basically, is that there, there's one company who really creates the operating system that they all function on. And the guy who made that operating system, his picture was on our screen last week, and we talked about him as the definition, the picture of success. His name is Bill Gates, and he's the founder of Microsoft, who makes the operating system. Now, once you have the computer made by whatever company, then you have the operating system that's made by Microsoft. On top of that, you have some software, and that software, some of it's made by Microsoft, some of it's made by any, no any number of other companies who you know, build the software that you need in order to accomplish whatever task it is you're trying to accomplish. At work, you probably have software built by uh, you know, some other company that knows what it is that you need, and that is built to function in this operating system on this computer, all designed by different companies. And then you also have external hardware accessories like keyboards and monitors and all of those things, which are also built oftentimes by other companies. And so you have a company that built the, the actual computer, you have the company that does the operating system, you have the company that, that uses the software, and you have the companies that have this, these accessories. And all of them are to interface and work together, right? And sometimes it works flawlessly. Oftentimes it works great, but then other times it doesn't, you know, that, because it wasn't the same person designing it all. There is an alternative. There's a Mac, right? And the Mac, of course, the Mac computer, the hardware was built by the Apple. <laughs> I'm getting some sort of signs out there. The Apple was built by Steve Jobs. The computer was built by Steve Jobs, basically, by, by that team. Then the software, the OS, OS X, whatever, was built by Macintosh, by Apple. Then also the software that's running on it, the operating system, the hardware, the software, much, much of the software is designed by Apple. And then even most of the monitors, keyboards, mouse, you use a lot of them. It's designed by Apple. They're, all of it was made with the other thing in mind, specifically designed by the same group of people, you know, all headed the same direction. You might not have as many options that way, but you also don't have as many crashes that way and that type of thing because it was all designed to fit together well. Now, I do believe that I should be getting a commission check from Apple for this message, but really that's not the point. The point is, is that God is the designer not only of his children and of his family, but he's the designer of everything. He's the designer of all of it. And when he made the universe, when he, he created it in whatever, however he did this, you know, however it worked out, his intention, his design was not absent, was not separate from his desire for us to have the best possible life. It was the same person with the same intention, 
with the same design, the same thought process, that is a, a loving father who wants us to have the best possible life, and the amazing creator who designs all of the universe. It's the same person, and he designs it to be fully integrated. So the, the distance of the sun from the earth, the rotation, the, the gravity that we have, the oxygen levels, all of it that he built. He didn't just do it randomly. He knew that he wanted his kids to have such an awesome life that he had the laws of science and everything else designed in such a way that we could function in the best possible life. Now, granted, we mess it up all the time, you know, but that's how it was originally designed by him. Now, it's not just the laws of science that he designed in order for us to have the best possible life. There are spiritual laws. There are relational principles. There's, there's interactions on, on a moral and ethical level. There's these principles and these paradigms that he designed. All of this structure that he placed in the design of all of creation in order that we can have the best possible life. It's like a dad who's also the builder who builds this awesome house and he designs everything about the house to be strong and secure, to work well and to function perfectly so that his family who's inside of it can have the best possible life within this house. He's not just the builder, he's also the father. He wants the family to work out really well in the midst of it. He wants everything to function well as a family, but he's also the builder so he can design perfectly how that house is supposed to work and function in order to provide this safe environment for his family to be everything that it needs to be. That's an awesome picture, isn't it? Props to Matt and Harold and others for making our oversized uh, illustration here. It's pretty impressive. Someone said to me after the first service, they said, why are we praying about a building project? Why not just have Matt go out back and build it? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I asked this about a year ago in a relationship series, but I need to ask it again. Do we learn best, or maybe it was in the toolbox series, the last time Matt did a big thing up front. Anyway, do we learn best from the inside out or from the outside in? Do we learn best from disciplining on the outside and then it changes the inside, or do we learn best by having our insides changed and then it changes the outside? Don't answer. Don't answer. I'm not looking for an answer. I just want you to think about it. In a family... There's rules in a family, right? Every family has some form of rules, probably, um, to lesser or greater degrees, you know? Why do we have rules in a family? I mean, can't we just look at a kid and say, if I focus in on the kid and really show affection to this kid, let the kid know that they're deeply cared about, and, you know, share the basic principles and pray for them, but not worry about the exterior stuff, only worry about the heart. Why can't we just do that? There, you know, there's a, um, there's a book out called Grace-Based Parenting by a guy named Tim Kimmel, and it, it's interesting. His, his, uh, the aim of his book, and I, I've read bits and pieces of it. I haven't actually read the whole thing, but the aim is to provide some sort of alternative to uh, authoritarian, uh, you know, overbearing, uh, uh, how do I say it, overprotective, parenting that you know almost abusive parenting and 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 yet not lose the the vision of of biblical principles being embedded into our kids you know that's the the attempt of this thing uh you know um i'll let you read it and figure out what you think that's fine there's there's a number of books on parenting if you really want to know the best about parenting you should go to josh's parenting class i got you man yeah 
but the idea is that you go after the heart first, you know, you, grace first, and then, and then you eventually learn the other stuff. We all believe this thing, I think. We probably all believe that kids learn from more than just what we say. They also learn from how we say it, right? They learn from more, more than just what the rules are. They learn from how patient we are in explaining those rules and helping them understand those rules. They learn from more than just how consistent we are with discipline. They also learn from where our hearts are in the midst of that discipline with them, whether we still care about them in the midst of it. Right? There's a deeper side than just the exterior stuff, what we say, what the rules are, how we enforce them. There's a deeper side. There's where our hearts and our spirits are in the midst of it that also trains our children and teach our children. All of us have had experiences where we had to serve something that we didn't feel connected to internally. Where we go to a job and we punch the clock and we might not even believe in this company. We might not even know what it's all about or feel any real deep connection to the mission of the company. We're just, you got to do what you got to do to get paid, you know? And it may be that you're on the same page. It may be you're way not on the same page, you know? But you're still slave to it. And there may be moments where you've been in relationships, maybe even a marriage relationship, where you took these vows and, and you made this commitment, so you're doing everything you can to hang in there, but underneath of it, you know that there's supposed to be something more to this relationship than what we're experiencing, but we're just walking through it, you know, and schlogging it out. And that's like, is that a word? <laughs> German word. Anyway, um, you know, th there's been moments where all of us have had to serve and, and be a part of the exterior, the institution, without feeling any deep, real, heartfelt connection. That's a painful thing, isn't it? To day in and day out have to just log in, you know, and do your thing and, w and not having any deeper vocation or calling to your job, not having any deeper passion or romance in the relationship, just simply going through the motion, you know? That's a tough thing. It's a very tough thing. Don't you think that maybe we could just care about a kid's heart and as a parent say we love you validate them give them the principles pray for them and then trust them to make the right decisions <laughs> no we can't that's absurd thought i like no matter how much we set it up for that and no matter how much we we lead up to that conclusion we know it doesn't work at the end and you know why we know it doesn't work is because we're kids and our father loves us immensely and he shares the principles in perfect communication and how many times do we make the wrong decision you know all the time our hearts lead us astray they take us in directions that are inappropriate our selfishness can often win the day and we don't do what we're supposed to do there still needs to be some sort of structure some sort of rule that that helps the family keep what it's supposed to keep, be what it's supposed to be, be the exterior structure that holds it together. But what if we let the kid just go ahead and make the mistake, even if they're going to make the mistake? Won't they eventually learn from their mistakes? Well, there's a couple problems with this idea. First of all, is some mistakes can't be recovered from. If a kid doesn't know that you can't walk out in front of a car, the kid's not going to recover from the mistake. Now, if a kid touches something hot and burns themselves, they're going to learn from that mistake, right? And they're not going to touch that thing anymore. They are going to learn that most of the time, unless you have a really, really strong-willed kid, you know? Uh, maybe some of you have known of those kind of kids. Dad. And so, anyway, 
<laughs> the, uh, you know, there, there's, there are mistakes we don't learn from. Most of our mistakes we actually don't learn from. You know why? It's because most of our mistakes don't have immediate negative ramifications. Most of our mistakes, the consequences are far out there. When it comes to sin, almost all sin reinforces us positively, not negatively. If I engage in sin, it doesn't feel bad. The reason I engaged in it in the first place is because I knew it would feel good, and it does. Doggone it, I was right. You know, and God told me it was this way, but I went and did this, and guess how it made me feel? Awesome. You know, <laughs> and so positive reinforcement. I'm in. I'm going to do it again. So my kid, if he grabs a burner, might not do it again, but if my kid goes out and starts taking a drag on a smoke, chances are he's going to want to take a second drag, and then he's going to get addicted, you know? And so are the chances of us learning from our mistakes good? No. What ends up happening is, is we get locked into something because at first it started to feel great and it started to bring positive reinforcement into our mind and eventually we got drawn into it until our minds now reshape and focus on this thing differently and we don't have the paradigm and the perspective to stand above it all and see whether or not this is right or wrong. Instead, we've become addicted to how well this thing makes us feel and therefore we justify the behavior even though dad might be saying something else. But dad gets to see the whole picture. Dad knows a little better. And he wants desperately for us not to engage in this activity because he sees down the road and he sees how it will affect us. But do we trust Dad becomes a big question in this moment. Now, in the 60s, I asked this question in first service. I said, how many of you were around for the 60s? You know, I'm going to ask it again. Before it was the computer question. Now, how many of you were around for the 60s? Wow, it's a lot less this time. And some of you are like, I am not raising my hand for that. <laughs> I should, that was just a mean question, sorry. Um, during the 60s, there was a whole generation of people, whole generation of people who uh, realized that the system, the institution, had gone dry and cold. And there was all sorts of people who were serving like cogs in a big system, just punching the clock, and there was nothing underneath of it, no life, no breath, no heart, just cold, steel, discipline, and commitment to something that no one believes in anymore. And so, there was a reaction, generational reaction, anti-establishment was the reaction. See, what they felt like was they were like, if I just commit myself to serving the way everyone else has served in the institution and follow the man and do what I'm supposed to do, it feels to me like on a cold, wintry day, going out to a steel structure and just giving it a nice big hug and expecting it to hug me back. You know, that's what it felt like to them. The structure, yeah, okay, whatever, I'm not feeling the love. And it's not working for me, and I don't want to spend my whole life just trying to plug along and be obedient to this thing that doesn't seem to help me out. And so the movement began. Throw off the chains of the man. Challenge the authority of the institution. Push back. Begin to live apart from these useless morals that were foisted upon us by institutionalized religion. Begin to live free, free, free living, you know, live how my heart yearns, let me feel it again, 
And they had a point on a certain level. I mean, a body without breath in it, who wants that, you know? Who, who wants a mind without a heart connected to it? If there's no way to actually have the relationship and meaning and motivation and inspiration, then what's the point of the commitment if there's nothing underneath of it, you know? And there was a point to it. So there was the, the revolt and the rebellion and, and the throwing it off. But let me ask you a question. Where has it left us? Did it get us as a society back to a place where we rediscovered our roots and we found what we're really all about and now we rediscovered the structure and we were changed from the inside to the out so now we have clear boundaries, we understand what our ethics are, we understand the structure, we're unified under a common conscience? You've got to be kidding me. We're in chaos. We're in chaos. The common ethic morality, where is it to be found? Stating one truth at the exclusion of all the other thoughts becomes more and more difficult every day. Saying that the brand of faith that I believe in is actually the truth and that what someone else believes in might not be the truth becomes more and more difficult every day in America and in the West. We're in a state of confusion and in a state of chaos. Because when we revolt against the structure, it's one thing to ask the structure to be accountable and to make it right and the true structure. It's another thing to say, I don't need this structure. I don't need structure at all. I don't need the rules. I don't need the discipline. I don't need that stuff. Get it off of me. I can figure it out with my own heart. That doesn't lead us to a place of clarity. Romans 1 shows us very clearly. It leads us to a place of confusion and chaos. When there is no longer an ability to submit to authority, when there is no longer an ability to hold on to a structure that's outside of ourselves and submit to it, when the authority and the ethic is defined not by something outside of me, but only within me, and I become the center of my own sense of morality, then there's no unity to bind us together. There's no structure for us to believe in together. And society, history has shown us, begins to collapse. That's how it works. Now, don't get me wrong. There was great stuff that happened in the 60s. There was really good stuff. Because, you know, there was revival that began in the 60s. Ever heard of these people called the Jesus Freaks? You know, there was this whole other thing that happened. See, the institution had grown cold. And there was a, a reason why this. I mean, if the authority goes bad and the institution is structured around the wrong stuff and there's no heart within it, there's a great reason for us to cry out and say there needs to be something else. And in the midst of that, what happened in the spiritual world, well, in the religious world, is that there was, a, there was a whole group of people who realized, all right, there's this brand of religion, okay? There's the, there's the brethren over here. There's the Lutherans over here. There's the Methodists here. There's the Roman Catholics here. And we nuance and fight about what different doctrines are and who has the right one. And when one can stand and say, this is the right doctrine, then what I'll do is I'll connect myself to this one that has the right doctrine, and now I'm close to God because I'm identified with this institution. So my relationship with God is a corporate relationship through this church to God. And now all I have to do is serve this church well and I'm connected to God. There's actually a level of truth in this thing. There's actually a level of truth that has gone missing where we don't feel much of a corporate relationship with God anymore. But in the moment, that's what really was the overriding thought. There was a reaction in the moment and people began to rediscover something else, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
where it wasn't just corporate. It wasn't just, there's this church that believes in this thing and I connect to it. There was a resurgence of personal faith in Jesus Christ. And there was a belief that my heart can actually touch the heart of God. And the Holy Spirit is not something that just moves in the institution. It can move inside my life. And we began to see a resurgence of things that can happen in people's lives. And a a more organic and earthy movement started to happen in the church again. And churches sprung up all over the place, you know. And new movements sprung up and new believers sprung up. And there was all this life that came up out of it because they decided, I need something and I'm not letting go until I find God. And they did. And it was great. Now again, that wasn't without its flaws. Because what also happened in the middle of that was that the same things that happened in the rest of the world, where it wasn't just holding the system accountable, there was an actual breaking off of the system at large. That also happened in the church. And so where There used to be an institution that was clearly defined and people were committed to it and they knew there was doctrine that they had to stay committed to. We got to a place where my heart connection to God is what matters. And it's all that matters. And if I go to this institution and the doctrine's a little bit frustrating to me, I'm out. Okay, And if I come over here and I go to this worship service and it doesn't feel like it's meeting my needs and I don't sense the Holy Spirit, instead of helping bring that in, I'm out. And if I go over to this authority figure in my church who says, you know, this thing that you're doing right now, it doesn't seem to line up with scriptures and it doesn't work with what I sense the Holy Spirit's doing, I'm out. And we got to a place where the authority of our faith is me. And so while we were very, very keen in understanding the fact that we had divorced ourselves from the Spirit and we only had the truth, we ran to Spirit and connected our heart to God and said thank you. But then the structure which God put in place to protect us, authority, system, community, the laws and principles that He wrote into the universe, there was no way that those things could be enforced into our lives because the only authority by which we enforce those things into our lives anymore is me. And so when my heart is wicked and when my heart is deceitful, I have nothing I can trust because I'm my own authority. I'm my own structure. I'm my own system. And there has been a massive, massive decline in commitment since then. People's commitment levels have dropped to huge, huge lows. An ability to serve even when we're not feeling it to hang in there when we're in a little bit of disagreement, when things get abrasive or uncomfortable, or when I feel confronted, to hang in and still submit and be a part of the whole thing, we've dropped. Instead, we bounce and we go to the next place and bounce and go to the next place. And again, there's been a resurgence of the heart and a connection to God and a people yearning to know Him and yet a lessening of the commitment to the structure, to the system. Anybody ever seen a body that has all the internal organs and all the skin on it, but has no bones? That's a nasty thought, is it? Don't, don't think about it too long. I've never seen that, and I don't ever want to. That would be nasty. Just a pile of organs and skin. Nasty, nasty thought. I believe that in America and in the Western church, we are in deep danger at times of becoming a pile of organs with skin wrapped around them. We might have a heart that can feel God in a moment, 
We may even have skin that wants to serve, that wants to touch, that wants to care and do something practical. But bones? We don't want bones. Bones aren't as cool, you know? We have this, we have this statement at our house where our, our boys use us like jungle gyms. You know, they like to hang on us and swing on us and jump on us and dive on us. But every now and then, like, Evan will get his knee, you know, and his knee will go right on my shin bone or something, you know, and it'll just, like, grind. You know how good that feels? It's awesome. <laughs> like, I love that feeling. And we call that bone on bone. And we scream it at the kids every now and then. Bone on bone. Nope. And we teach them. Here's one of the rules. You can hang on us, but no bone on bone, man. Bone on bone hurts. Bones are hard. Bones, they don't have crowd appeal. Bones, they're not soft and warm and, and good and nice. You know, bones are rigid and tough, and, and they're not as fun. You know, like motivation and intention, spirit, you know, heart, that stuff's awesome. Skin, flesh, that's pretty cool. You know, that's where we do stuff and, and where it's practical and it applies and it makes sense to us. But bones, I mean, who cares? You can't see the bones from the outside. They don't feel good when you touch them. Who really cares about bones? You know, who cares about the steel structure of my house? What we care about is the relationships that happen inside of it. And granted, that's what it's all about is the relationships inside. But try having a body without bones or a house without a structure and see what happens. And when we react to institutions and structures and doctrines and disciplines that feel uncomfortable to us because maybe something went wrong and we instead get back to the heart of the matter, the relationship, we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're doing what God says to the church in Ephesians when it says you do all the stuff right on the outside, you wash it all up, you make it look good, but inside you've lost your first love. And so when revival happens, we turn and we get back to our first love and we let our hearts pound with God and we remember what it's all about but we must be very, very careful in that moment. Because in that moment, we can pendulum swing. And we can say the structure doesn't matter anymore. The rules, they don't really matter anymore. The paradigms, the disciplines, I just follow my heart. And the scriptures remind us, our heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. Just because God has started the transformation process of my heart does not mean that I can trust it. He started the transformation of my heart, but it is not complete. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which also means that it's not fully glorified yet. And the phrase, just follow your heart, mm -mm. no way, follow God. And he reveals his heart, and he reveals his law, his truth. Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And in this place and in this moment in time at Parker Ford Church, God has blessed us with a resurgence of spirit. He is blessing us with a, an, an awakening. Josh and I prayed before we came here that God would awaken us because we live in a land, a state, an area of our country that desperately needs emotional and spiritual awakening, vitality, you know? And he's been doing that and he's been blessing us. The elders pray for it all the time. Deacons pray for it all the time. They, God would awaken us and he's doing it. And we sense that God is alive among us and moving. We need to remember that when he moves, when he awakens us, when he sends his grace, when he gives us his spirit, when he frees us, from just empty 
discipline and commitment to vitality that we don't lose the bones because we need them and we need them badly. The point of this series is going to be that we will look at our daily lives and we will say, God, you have a design for time in my life. You have a design for money in my life. You have a design for relationships in my life. You have a design for sex in my life. You have a design for entertainment in my life. And if I look at all of these things and let my heart just guide where I'm going to go, it's not going to go well. And you might be alive and working and active, but I need to know the structure. I need to know your mind, not just your heart. Because as you're freeing me, as you're helping me to trust you as my dad, because I can feel the love from you right now, I also need to know your mind and know your rules so that I can submit to you as my dad. You see, this is how it works. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. God is our friend and he's our savior. But before we know him as friend and savior, we must know him as God and father. This is how it works. In a day when we will talk about the beauty of the redemption of the cross and the validation, the gospel of self-image that we talked about a few weeks ago, when God validates us and approves us and frees us in the moment, we also have to remember the baseline. You see, in Psalm 89 and in Psalm, uh, I believe it's 97, it talks about God's love and his faithfulness surround him. His faithfulness surrounds him. His love goes out in front of him. It's like there's pores in God, pores in his skin. And coming out of those pores is just emanating faithfulness and love. It just comes so, like if you get anywhere near God, you should just start to feel the love. You should start to feel just how amazing he is, how much he cares for us, how much he's a dad who just wants the best for us, who it's like, it's just eking out of every part of him. It's like he loves us. The verse continues and says, the foundation of his throne is justice and righteousness. So how does it work if I'm a father who grabs my kids and I hold them and I tell them I love them and I care for them and I'm always saying, way to go guys, but there's no justice or righteousness. There's no standard underneath. Am I actually loving them at that moment? My love has been compromised if justice and righteousness have been compromised. Proverbs tells us this, that he who spares the rod of discipline does not love his child. But he who loves his child works diligently to discipline him. Why? Because a loving parent knows that the child cannot make the right decision all the time and there must be a structure that is outside of that child in order to keep them in the safe framework that is God's design for our best life. And therefore, there must be a place where we are submitted to the authority of God, where we first fear him as God and Father before we also enjoy the deep parts of the love that he has for us. There was a guy named John Newton, and you might know about him. He was a sailor, and he sailed uh, for the British. And then he became a slave trader. And he was on a boat with slaves. And he was a wicked man. 
and he talked negatively about anyone who had belief in God, mocked them openly, said they were nuts, that they needed a crutch, that they were weak, they didn't know any better. That's not your fault, you're just dumb, you don't know any better. That's the type of thing he would say to them. Just mocked them ruthlessly. One day, he got caught up in a huge storm at sea. And in the middle of the storm, he was scared for his life. In the moment, something changed and he cried out to God. And he said, God, save me. It began a journey in his life of faith. Real struggle to get out of the life and the mentality he had. But eventually, ultimately, he got to a place where he became a clergyman. He became a preacher. And one day, he wrote a song about his experience at sea. And he says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did his blood appear the hour I first believed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And how did he find the truth? Because all of a sudden he realized how faithful and good God was? No, because it was grace that taught his heart to fear. And then grace relieved his fears. But until we understand that these principles cannot be compromised, that as much as the laws of science can be used and can be worked for our benefit, but cannot be changed, So the principles of God that he puts in the spiritual realm, that he puts in relationships between us, if we violate those principles, if we break those principles, they will break us. And if we believe that God saved us so that we can live an American dream and live according to whatever our hearts desire, we've gotten the wrong picture of what salvation is. God loves us way too much to let us stay in deception. He has the best possible life for us. And there's only one place to find it, and it's within the structure that God created for us. God lives in this house. And if we want relationship with him, we sit at his table, and we follow his rules. As soon as we step outside of that, we are no longer under the shelter of the Almighty. And that is something to be scared of. But the good news is, is that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And he loves us. And he wants us to have new hearts where he writes his law on our hearts, as Ezekiel tells us. And he wants us to have a new mind, minds that understand what his principles are all about. And the work of transformation is not just the work of us. It's the work of God. Do we learn from the inside out or from the outside in? Chicken or egg? Yes. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Take every thought into captivity. He also says that he'll write those laws on our hearts and he'll give us a new heart. It's all his work. But our work is to trust him, to trust that he'll change our hearts, trust that these rules that he has in place, we're going to submit to him, even when we don't feel like it, even when they don't make sense. It's not about my efforts. It's about his truth and my submission to it, because I trust that my dad who loves me knows better than I do. And that he's the one who built the house, he knows how it works. 
It's like Steve Jobs instead of Bill Gates, right? It's an integrated holistic system in which we fit perfectly if we will submit to the designer, the creator, our dad, our father. We'll fear him and submit even when we're not feeling it. Stone cold commitment with a heart that fills it up with warmth and love. It's a good picture, isn't it? Yeah. This series is going to be all about learning that structure, uncovering it in Scripture so that we can learn how to live within it. Let's pray. God, what else is there to say? I mean, you... It's one thing when we lived in total opposition to you. While we were still sinners, Christ dies for us. And it's the message we need to hear the most. That side of grace and restoration of relationship is the message we need to hear the most. We need to hear it all the time because there's a self-loathing, a self-hatred, a, a, a massive like, destruction of our own image and we're supposed to live for your image and we need to remember how much you love us and your grace that reaches out and cares for us even when we lived against your principles. But every now and then, we need to stop and look again and realize we might actually know that you love us on that level. But forget the deeper. Forget that the foundation of your throne is righteousness and justice. God, you've put authority in our lives. You've put doctrine and, and theology and truth in our lives. You've put systems like families and businesses and governments in our lives. You've put laws of science and laws of ethics and laws of relationships in our lives. And they're not to inhibit us. They're to set us free. God, our hearts do not easily submit. Give us hearts like David. Hearts after your own heart. Our minds don't easily understand. Give us a mind of Christ that understands not just the Ten Commandments, but how they're reinterpreted again in the Sermon on the Mount. And then God, more than just the right mind and the right heart, Give us the faith to trust you like Abraham, even when we don't understand and even when we don't feel. God, still give us the trust and the faith to believe you, God. We love you so much, God, and we know that you've designed this home for us. And it's all written about in your scriptures. And we're looking forward to understanding it more. In Jesus' name.
Now to the king, immortal, invisible, eternal, the only wise God, be honor and glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. God bless you. That's awesome. I mean...